Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Poulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. According to human standards of leadership, when Paul changes course midstream, it appears to his disciples that he is vacillating between yes and no, like a man who can't keep his promises. In reality, it is the church that is wavering because Paul's disciples are unwilling to place all their trust in the instruction that controls their teacher's actions. Richard and I discuss 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 24. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 123 of the Bible is Literature podcast. We are moving right along to the second part of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. This falls on the end of the first half of chapter one that we covered last time in which he was talking about all the suffering and affliction he had gone through. And he wants to emphasize with the Corinthians, I didn't go through this suffering because I was incorrect. I went through the suffering because I stood fast with the will of God and accordingly I then suffered. God and my conscience will testify that I was doing everything correctly, but I was afflicted. A tree is judged by its fruit, but you can't decide whether the fruit is godly from a human perspective. You listened to Paul. You didn't win your freedom in the Roman Empire if you were a Jew. You listened to Paul. You didn't become wealthier if you were a Roman. And because you still believe in this backwards, idiotic, fleshly idea of a prosperity gospel. They didn't call it a prosperity gospel, but it's the same nonsense. Deep down inside, you're wondering what your life is all about and whether you've accomplished anything and what am I doing with my time if in the end of the day I'm going to suffer just like any other sinner. Well, I've got news for you. The whole point of the New Testament is to remind you what the Old Testament said in the beginning, that you are just like any other sinner, except you have an advantage. You're being reminded daily that you're a sinner. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty straightforward. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, which is what I just said. What I'm telling you is what Scripture says, so what's your problem? And I hope you will understand until the end, meaning to endure, to stay steadfast in hearing and understanding and therefore walking until the end when the Lord comes. Right, it's not enough to simply understand the words. The understanding has to manifest itself as actions. Otherwise, and this is my point about what Paul is saying, otherwise, if you simply understand theoretically and then enjoy your life, 
or you understand theoretically and then you complain when you have difficulties and wonder what it's all about if it doesn't go well for you, then you are spitting on all of the martyrs. You cannot live for yourself. And Paul always shows his addressees how insidious this disease of living for yourself is and how impossible it is to root it out, just as you also partially did understand us, meaning you heard what I'm saying, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours. And here he's explaining the rejoicing between the one who sows and the one who reaps. We rejoice, Paul is saying, because the word was preached and the word is doing work in you for the sake of God's purpose. We're not proud of you per se, but of the word which we received and is now doing its work in you. At the same time, you should also be proud of what we're doing for you because that pride doesn't refer to Paul ultimately, but to Christ who refers to God the Father. Just as a child is proud of his father because he's strong and he does the right thing, so when the father sees the children doing the correct things, he can be happy that his teaching is bearing fruit. Now, Paul is saying that they partially understood, which means that their pride in Paul may be faltering because having listened to Paul, they're not getting what they wanted. So he's saying, in the beginning, you understood that you were supposed to be proud because I was the one bringing you the word. But I'm not sure you're proud. I think you're wondering why you haven't gotten wealthier and why more Roman patricians aren't inviting you and offering you jobs and connections within Corinth. Let alone me, Paul. Let alone me, Paul. In the day of our Lord Jesus, the pride makes no sense now if you're thinking in fleshly terms. You'll be proud when the Lord comes because then the flesh will be exposed as temporary and the divine word will be exposed as the king and messiah of all the nations. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. So he's been saying, comfort, suffer, comfort, suffer, comfort, suffer. And now he's saying he wants to come twice so that they would receive a blessing twice. But don't fall in the trap of thinking that when Paul comes, it's a blessing according to the flesh. That is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So I'm taking on the Greeks, then I'm going to swing by to replenish, and then I'm going directly to Jerusalem to conquer the people of Israel. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? So if Paul is saying I was not vacillating, that the implication is that the implied addressee was doubting Paul, which is what we were picking up on earlier when he was talking about whether or not they're proud of his work as an apostle. Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He was supposed to come visit them twice. There may have been some who were disappointed that he didn't come twice. And so he's saying, the things that I'm busy with are following God's will even to the suffering, the stage of suffering that I've had to endure, don't think that that's because I'm unfaithful to God that I'm having to suffer these things. It's because I'm faithful to God. Now, if I happen to not be able to visit you like I said I was hoping to come visit you, it's not because I'm unfaithful to you. It's because I'm faithful to God first, and if God has me go in another direction, that's the direction I'm going to have to go. I love this example 
in pastoral situations, in church life. Because human beings are creatures of habit. They want structure. They want habit. Predictability. Consistency. Because they want security. You want everything to be the same all the time so that it just gets ingrained in you as habit. And when the priest decides to put the cross in a different location in the church, or the priest decides to omit or add a different prayer, or he changes the structure, people have a nervous breakdown because they get clingy because they want that assuredness and that consistency. But that assuredness and consistency is according to the flesh. Now, if you want to run an effective business, consistency is helpful. But if you're trying to teach scripture, consistency is the enemy. You need to use people's lust for consistency against them in order to give instruction. And that's why someone who is governed by the gospel never makes sense. Because your way of thinking is tied to fleshly purpose. And if someone is leading according to God's wisdom, they are not governed by fleshly purpose. And so what makes total sense to them, what makes total sense to Paul, looks like lunacy to the community. This is a big thing. If you trust a teacher in scripture and they do something that makes no sense to you, you should not be quick to judge. Just like Mr. Miyagi. Just because he has you go and polish the cars and paint the fence, it's not because he's simply a lunatic. He's giving you an instruction that seems to be lunacy, but in fact is for your instruction. But Father Mark, the cross looks better when it's straight up and down in the sand. I know, but I want it tipped over. But Father Mark, we did the flowers this way last year. This year I don't want flowers. But, what do you mean but? No flowers this year, what's the big deal? That's the idea. Because when you are unpredictable in this fashion, people expose that their real interest is not the gospel, it's how the cross looks up against the icon. And that's the problem. And so Paul himself now is being questioned as a leader because according to human standards of leadership, he's flip-flopping. Now, ironically, Peter, who is the vacillator in the gospel, is going to appear consistent to Paul's opponents because he consistently serves the flesh. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. It appears yes and no. Yes flowers, no flowers, cross left, cross right. I will come to visit you. I won't come to visit you. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. Meaning the only word is faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to Christ Jesus. And that's the priority. You're thinking according to the flesh. And just like divine power looks stupid to the flesh, the divine yes looks stupid to the flesh. That's what he's saying. And in the first letter, we know that what he was trying to teach was that the only word that they received was to submit to others and to love others and to think of yourself as below the others in the community. So again, it's not consistent that they can then judge Paul according to this. They should be submitting to him, not only because of the rule of the community, but even more so, he's their father. This is how Paul fathers them, by not allowing them to set themselves above the gospel. Because here, Paul functions like the prophet Samuel. 
the people reject Samuel, and God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. God said, I'm the king. Samuel delivered the message to the people. The people rejected the message. And in rejecting the message, they rejected Samuel. And that's what Paul is saying here about the church in Corinth. You think you're doubting me, Paul, but you're really doubting God, and your trust in God is wavering, not your trust in your teacher. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So the amen is the assent to do God's will. What they're doing is saying yes unequivocally, unwaveringly to God and to the will of his teaching. And it's not Paul's glory. It's the glory of God through Paul. Just like it's not Samuel's glory, it's the glory and the kingship of God through Samuel. Paul comes to you with all the authority of Christ, and Christ comes to you with all the authority of God the Father. But whether you're Jesus or you are Paul, you have to defer to the one above you, which means that Christ doesn't do anything of his own accord or on his own behalf, let alone Paul. But because you're fleshly, that's what you want to project. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Again, he's insisting that it is God whom you're questioning here. So he keeps reinforcing God's hegemony, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. What they're doing, their actions, are a result of the spirit the spirit that comes from God. So they're being animated in their actions to do the will of God. You can't say, hey, you didn't come to visit. Where do you get off? Every testimony that I can find will show you, will reinforce this idea that I am only doing the will of God. If you question what I do, then you question the will of God. I mean, here Paul reminds me of the Luke and Mary because she pondered the word of God in her heart. It was inscribed in her heart. Now, Mary represented the community so it was inscribed in her heart and she didn't speak paul is not part of the community paul is the prophet delivering the message to mary but when he talks about the spirit in our hearts as a pledge it's the same function god wrote something on paul's heart and that pledge is immutable and we're not talking about the heart in the way that people talk today about feelings we're talking about the seat of reason the Torah was inscribed in Paul's seat of reason, and he's saying that my actions are motivated by that inscription, and that inscription is God's pledge of hope. The Spirit sits in his brain and helps him make decisions and direct his will to do the correct thing. So why are you doubting God's pledge? Why are you faltering? Why are you implicitly whining about suffering or thinking that your suffering is a sign that something's wrong with what Paul is teaching? Right. So what Paul is doing is he's taking this little complaint he heard. I heard you were complaining that I only came once instead of twice. And he's making this into something of cosmic proportion, saying, compare what you're doing there in Corinth with what I'm doing in Asia as I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel for the sake of God and for the sake of you and you're complaining that I didn't come correct I said I was going to come and I was incorrect because I only do the will of God and God sent me elsewhere a little thing is not a little thing in scripture it's like the example you gave from the karate kid 
It's just a floor. Why can't I sand it this way? It's just a car. Can't I wax it this way? No. You're going to wax it the way I asked you to. Wax on, wax off. Because you don't see the whole picture. I do. Father Mark, why can't the chair be positioned this way? Because. But I don't see what the big deal. It's just a chair. Because you don't see the big deal, you're just going to have to take my word for it and learn. If you are not faithful in little things, you can't be faithful in many things. You think I'm talking about how the chair looks aesthetically in church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that you worship the arrangement of the chairs instead of the reading. Or you worship the comfort of consistency instead of the reading. So you better believe I'm going to make a big thing out of what you consider to be just a knit. And the position of the chair evidently is more important than doing the gospel, which is to submit your will to the other. So if the gospel is to submit your will to the other, what do you care if the priest is nuts? What's your problem? That's the trick. And what's beautiful about it is that it eliminates everyone's ability to impose their will on everyone, including the head of the community. Peace and harmony. Peace and harmony under the boot of God, the mighty, blessed tyrant. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth, which is why the blessing is not a blessing according to the flesh. The blessing is that I chose not to come. That's your blessing. That's your blessing according (laughs) to the flesh. If I blessed you according to the spirit, you might be suffering right now. Not that we lord it over your faith, but our workers with you for your joy. But it's divine joy, not fleshly joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. So by not visiting, he is able to give a lesson that strengthens their faith. See, it's all for your benefit anyway that I didn't come. All for your benefit. And I know you're standing firm. Because if you weren't before, now you are. Thanks very much, Dr. Thank you, Father. the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.